behind every great design, behind every great collection, there is a narrative. Try to get to know the narrative of that designer. Hello and welcome back to You Have am still your host fortunately it's nicole here again and well anytime i introduce someone and interview them it's a treat um but i have never interviewed someone that worked with leather before so today we have samson hill he is a leather designer and so much more he is also a leo with a cancer rising which is very very important if you know anything about me or my previous episodes. I am an Aquarius and I am a Leo rising with a moon in Cancer. Um, welcome to the show, Samson. Hello. Actually, my, my North Node is Aquarius too. That's funny. Oh, that's the jack of all trades uh, sign, I feel. We just can't commit to one thing. Like Tiger Woods golf from age two, able to focus. Aquarius, mm. not so much. Uh, uh, that that uh, describes me pretty well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love doing designers that are doing very specific niche things that the average person like me may or may not know anything about. People just go to their Zara, H and M, pick up stuff, put it on, pay ten bucks, and move on. Um, mm. But you, you um, work with leather. And it's not easy to do. Um, so I'd like to hear more about that. What what started that? How did you get into um, designing with leather? So I actually didn't really want to get into leather initially. Um, it was just I kind of came into this industry from a very sort of obscure angle, or a very like uh, just an outside angle. Um, my uh, I was living in Seattle and I, and I had no formal education and I started sewing things and it was fun and I wanted to start making things. So I actually taught myself to sort of drape and make patterns because you, I didn't know you could buy patterns. And I just was falling in love with the process of making things. And um, a friend of a friend was a, was a leather worker and needed some help in their studio. So I went in and kind of did like on, an audition where I sat down at his sewing machine and started sewing. I did a few cuts, glued a few things, and then two weeks later, he was like, hey, I need you for some work. Um, and he became a mentor of mine uh, for quite a while. So I spent a lot of time in his studio, just, you know, sewing, working away, and then moved back to LA, um, from LA originally, moved to Seattle for a little bit, moved back to LA, and uh, continued working for him because he actually moved to LA at the same time and that's when I started working in the garment industry but then very quickly um, ended up working as a product developer in the leather industry and I think like we're so removed I think you know if you go back two generations maybe your great grandmother would get you know a vogue pattern and and you needed a dress for graduation and, and she would then go get the fabric and make that dress and i think unless you have go, gone to school specifically for fashion design you're not really giving a fuck about like the process so you mm. know from from pattern to product 
um, what's different about leather? Is it the same process as with like a dress or, you know, what are, what are like the key parts of the process? So, I mean, if you're making a garment with leather, it's pretty much the same. There's a few things you need to do differently. Garment leather is typically a lot thinner than product leather. So leather for a handbag or leather for, you know, something else, your, your leather in a jacket is going to be much thinner. Um, probably about uh, seven tenths of a mil thick versus, you know, the 11 tenths of a millimeter thick for a, you know, a handbag. And on top of that, the leather is typically garment leather uh, is tanned differently. So it's going to be a softer uh, leather that's going to move more with the body, whereas in a bag or a product that's not being worn, you don't need the leather to really move or drape. So that leather is going to be more sturdy um, and uh, less soft. So a result of that is leather working for garment is very, you do fittings, you do the same thing there that you would with dresses or, you know, ready to wear. Um, but leather working for, uh, for like handbags, shoes or garments like that, uh, or sorry, not garments, but products like that. Um, it's going to be much more making a piece, getting that piece uh, approved by a designer, approved by the, the departments that need to approve it, and, and working more on the process of producing it. It's a bit more difficult to sew and produce a bag made with the stiffer materials or produce a, a product made with stiffer materials than with softer materials because you can't manipulate it as easily. And oftentimes, if you do manipulate it too much, you end up with uh, wear lines or wrinkles in the product that don't look good. So uh, a lot of it is, is, especially my job these days, is more about figuring out the process by which we're going to produce things. Um, and it's less of it is actually the, you know, there's less time sort of spent in development. Um, and when I am spending time in development with you know, with garments, you're seeing sometimes, you know, nine samples over the lifetime between proto prototype and, you know, your sales, not your sales sample, but your, your top production sample. Um, but with leatherworking, I see much less samples and that that part, or with gar product leatherworking, you, that part is shorter and more time is spent on sort of defining your, your, uh, your process for production. Um, I want to talk about the stiffer, obviously the stiffer leather will be more for like the it bags we all, you know, spend too much money on, right? Uh, yes and yes and no. I mean, it, it depends on what sort of feel the, the designer is going for, right? So you can imagine if you want something that really has a, a solid shape that like, you know, sort of like, um, let's say... Like a like a like one of those like sort of pillbox purses or like a, a round purse, you know what I mean? Like you know, I, I have specific names that I can't use because they're the company that I'm a part of. But um, you know, like a pillbox bag, that's that might be a bit stiffer. But then there might be the sort of like a duffel or something that is a bit bigger and meant to sort of pack nicely, and, and that's going to be a softer material. So it does depend on sort of what the designer is looking for in the bag. Um, and, uh, and sometimes we have to change materials based off of the process. So we might start off with something that's really stiff and it's really nice that it's stiff, but it's actually 
not a feasible uh, stiffness or material for producing uh, in large quantities just because it takes too much time and it, it's too much of a risk. It, you end up damaging a lot of material and it's actually dangerous for the artisan's uh, health to, you know, working, try to say turn a bag made with stiff material. Um, there's this one leather worker, small, small leather worker based in I think Vancouver. He makes very traditional tote bags and he'll post process photos when he's turning these bags. If I can find the name, I'll send it to you. I think it's Oh yeah, you know me. I'm always another bag designer. I'm like, and who is this person? Like Yeah, it's very um he's very like Canadian, like rustic, you know? So it's very like it's all veg tan leather, all natural tones. But he'll post photos of him turning the leather bags and he'll spend a whole day just turning a single bag. Um, just because the leather is so stiff and so thick and it's it's very difficult to turn. So in a in a production environment, we can't have that. Like that's just that's not that's not safe for the artisans. You can't expect the artisans to be strong enough to do that. And um, it's it's also, you can't spend a whole day just turning a bag. <laughs> right, no one has time like that, especially in this fast fashion world. We'll get to that in a minute. I have a, a very old coach bag that I actually bought in the store, like in person in about like 1996. And this bag, I mean, it just now started to soften up and when I bought it, it could like kind of stand up on its own. And now mm. it doesn't do that. And when I think about how long things last, like leather, if you take care of it, will last a really long time. And I feel like, you know, people would shop that way. You know, I, I grew up investment shopping. I'm not mm -hmm. a fan of fast fashion. Um, when you look at the lifespan of even like leather, and that was an animal product and now, you know, moved on. And speaking of the animals, mm. um, the leather, the type of leather that's most commonly used in the industry, is it cow? Is it gold? Like, what is it? It's cowhide. I mean, for, again, for leather, like product leather, um, it's pretty much all cow. I mean, you're not going to see like your 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 lamb skin, your kid skin, which is goat skin. Um, that's going to be primarily using garments, um, just because they are softer and they're more supple. My actually my favorite leather is goat leather. I think it is a perfect balance of being sub supple and strong. Um, cowhide is very strong, not very supple. Uh, lamb skin for me it's just too supple it's 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 too soft it's it doesn't have that sort of, i like my leather to be a little bit more have a little bit more body to it you know what i mean and lambskin is is so soft and so light it's it's almost fabric um so that's that i you, yeah you pretty much just see cowhide in in product leather these days okay and in terms of the cow in terms of you know, let's say a luxury market versus a fast fashion market. People are, are buying things faster, wearing them shorter times, throwing them away. Um, and also on the other side, on the food side, they say that cows and, and, and yeah, that is a contributor to pollution as well as the fashion mm. industry. So when it comes to cowhide being used for purses, is that also a part of the problem i i would say it's 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 a yes and no answer to that question right i i want to hear the yes and no because 
like, you know, <laughs> I feel like nothing we do is working to reverse the shitty situation we are in with the environment. You know, we're so far in. Um, and I, I want to, you know, you want to feel better about wearing things longer and using things longer and buying something that's going to last longer. But at the same time, like, let me hear about that yes or no, you know, with the cowhide. Yeah, so with cowhide, um, most leather, to my knowledge, is, uh, is a byproduct of the meat industry, right? So when they're killing cows uh, for us to eat them, uh, they then sell the hides to tanneries, and the tanneries take those hides and turn them into leather and yada, yada, yada. There are specialty leathers, and then those farms that, or the ranches that produce those cow hides, uh, produce that cow, those cows. Um, they're taking care of their cows in a different ways so that they can, you know, sell their hides to these tanneries that are a bit more um, selective. But ultimately, those ranches, to my knowledge, their primary concern is selling meat. Um, so the leather is sort of a byproduct. So really is the leather market um damaging in that way no because it's just kind of piggybacking off of the meat market but the meat market is damaging and so you kind of in my mind the leather market really is does share quite a bit of the responsibility it's at least half in my mind but um it's it's not we're not breeding cows for leather and then breeding cows for meat it's it's the same cow thankfully uh there yeah so so and i love that because at least you're using most of the materials right i I don't know if it was the indigenous community or the native american community but when they were talking about the difference between what we do today with slaughterhouses and what they did when they killed for you know living for eating for sustenance they would use the entire it was important to use the entire animal and not yeah. have any waste. You know, if there was bones, it would use it for jewelry. I mean, everything, every part of the animal. Is that something that we're doing? Is that, or is Yeah, it- no, I think even the bones, I mean, this is kind of a, a this, if, if, if any of the listeners like Jello, you may want not want to listen to the next part, but gelatin is animal <laughs> Yeah, bones, animal so gelatin, is. yeah, is, is yeah. right, meat bones, right? So it's it's uh, so I mean we we grind the bones down we use every little every little piece I think the main difference between the way we're doing it and say the indigenous cultures did it is that maybe there's a certain lack of respect in how we do it versus how they did it they certainly certainly respected the animal whereas we don't seem to um, but uh, yeah which is actually why I'm really I'm really excited about sort of alternative materials as a leather worker I I. I have like a love hate relationship with the material that I'm the most experienced with and using. Uh, leather is not great for the environment, but I have yet to find a material that really is as versatile as leather, um, is as long lasting. And you know, there's a so leather is to me is just an amazing material. I do think we will produce materials that can start to. Uh, be alternatives. Um, I'm excited by some parts of the market that are doing that, but uh, right now, for me, leather is still number one. Yeah, when you and I um, were getting to know you over the phone, you were saying 
uh, you know, as a species, you know, the humans have won at this point. Like we won. Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we used to be prey and we're now the top predator. I love you, Noah Harari. And so I, I was, uh, reading sapiens kind of like beat that into my brain, but it's like, yeah, we, we've won. Like there's, we have no threats to us on the planet and the way we're behaving, the way we're operating to me is sort of we're still behaving and operating in this sort of prey mentality, which is why we're so selfish and so competitive. Um, and it's, I think we, I would like to see us in every industry. Um, and I think for me, obviously the fashion industry, I would like to see us start to change how we think um, about how we produce things, how we interact with other people, how we interact with the animals, how we interact with the natural world around us um, and sort of move into being more like having more of a, a cultivator mindset rather than a predator mindset or a prey mindset. Um, Cause I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, when you, when you talk about there hasn't really been the best replacement for, for leather. Um, like if you go to H&M or Zara, something that I, I don't do and that's not, snob it's partially because I'm a snob but uh, you know when they have Dang. leather <laughs> when they have leather jackets it's not made of leather it looks like polyurethane shit yeah. you know which oil fossil fuels you you're wearing oil you're wearing like Vaseline right yeah you're wearing yeah it's you're, pl- you're wearing plastics that are derived from oils and what's what's even more kind of horrifying it's there's no risk of this so don't Nobody listening, don't take this and go throw away your, your PVC jacket, but... Uh, Please don't throw it away, not in the landfill. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, d- thrift it or donate it or whatever, if you are going to get rid of it. But um, actually, some of those materials, if they enter your bloodstream, are carcinogenic, <laughs> which is kind of horrifying. <laughs> um, Sorry to laugh. No, I've it's, been talking it's... about toxic dye for so long. I'm like, look, like, if they're wearing a mask... Yeah in the factory because they may get sick from the clothing that they're sending you know that's going to eventually make it to stores here in america i mean we're going to get sick right by absorbing it through our skin it's, it's not going to be great yeah and dye dye to me it is an interest is just a fascinating chemical in general because there's so many different ways it works right like just to i don't know how much you've had other people talk on this on the topic of dye but um you know, I think a lot of people think of dyes as just pigment dyes, which is just like you have a blue dye, it's the color blue, you put it on the garment and the garment turns blue. But indigo dye is actually sort of like an almost transparent yellow color. And then when you mix it with ammonia, I think it's ammonia, when you mix it with ammonia, it turns that dark, deep navy blue. So it's a chemical reaction that is happening in the fabric when you're doing that. And there's a whole section of dyes called reactive dyes that are based off of that same idea where you saturate the garment with this chemical and then you put another chemical and then the garment changes color so yeah a i took a um i took a textile and design class just so i could okay. get my damn diploma and this woman was a master dyer in Chicago and she did out of her home and her whole basement and her whole yard where you know like let it dry and things like that and we had these big vats of dye and we had to wear gloves and sometimes we even wore glasses and all of this stuff and it's like 
even when you do like a quick tie-dye kit like you should wash it a couple of times before you start to wear it they say because you know skin I, I love these commercials it's not to hate on Vaseline but I love these commercials like Vaseline lotion everything they have has petroleum in it which is horrible it's like connected to cancer right. and you know so the Vaseline lotion it's not it's not good you're better off just putting on olive oil from the kitchen but anyway there's all these protections around for your skin when you're making the garment is what I'm saying Right, and then and then we we put it on our body. Yeah, I would I honestly die die like I would love to meet that person the, that woman that you you learned from. That sounds amazing. I would I would love to learn more about dyes because they are a fascinating thing to me, and I I wish I knew more. They're definitely they're a little scary, you know. Even just like even with leather and and microfibers and the materials that I use on a daily basis. You can feel the difference in the material. It's it's like supposed to be the same material, but you can see, you can feel how the, the dye process has changed that material and how they they behave differently and how they sort of have different weights to them. And that it's 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 not as simple as a as I think we're led to believe. You know, obviously, as you know. So yeah, I mean, I wish everyone should be forced to take some kind of textile design class because you you'll shop differently afterwards because it's a lot of work mm. that goes into everything i think you you'll view clothes less disposable if you have that experience of like making them um but yeah you you were getting into cool nerdy shit last time we chatted about mit and creative materials so tell me about that Yes, I might have to quickly do a Google search to get the name of the person. I know there is okay, Netflix. No, that yeah, researching is fine. They only, they only kick us off in like within the next forty minutes, so you got time to do, uh, go to Mama Google. Uh, so there's yeah, there's. Go ahead. I was just going to talk go. about the, the the MIT Design Lab, and so it's, yeah, it's called MIT Design Lab, but there's this woman who is basically the head of it right now and she is amazing and hearing her talk is amazing and and everything she's doing i'm trying to find her name <laughs> sorry um but she is she is fantastic and it's like to me that is like the future right so talking about leather um as being this animal-based product that is probably not great for the environment and then you know talking about textile production and how that's not great for the environment and I think it's been like 600 gallons go into producing one cotton t-shirt. It's an insane amount, 600 gallons of water. It's an insane amount of, uh, of, of you know, material usage um, and impact on the environment. So for me, it's like, I'm really excited about what materials are coming in the future and uh, and what's going coming down the line. I know like for like leather specifically, there's uh, companies that are doing collagen leather. So there's one called Modern Meadow. And what they're doing is they have these, this genetically modified bacteria that's producing animal collagen. So if it's gonna be cowhide, it's the bacteria is producing cow collagen. And that all that collagen floats up to the top of this bath that all these bacteria, they skim that collagen off and they, they reconstitute it into some sort of leather type material. Um, I, 
it seems like they're a bit far away from having a commercial product, but to me, like that's the most promising thing. Um, and then there's these two brothers in Mexico who, again, names, I forget names, but they developed, excuse me, uh, a leather, a synthetic leather from cactus. And then there's uh, a few different companies that are doing leather from uh, mushroom, mycelium, mycelium. I, I have no idea if I'm, no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> but it, they're producing leather from essentially fungus and uh and i was looking at one in particular called uh reishi or risha and there uh, i was looking again i'm a nerd for this stuff right so i was going through like quality testing like color fastness you know uh flex tests strength tests tensile tests like all that stuff and honestly it looks pretty good it looks like it's performing performing at around the same level of the cowhide they were comparing it to which to me seems like a standard vegetable tan cowhide so if that if that's uh, gonna hit the market soon i know they have like a thing where you can ask for to order materials but i think it's only for very big orders so like a small time person like me i have no hope of getting it anytime soon but i'm looking forward to that stuff hitting the market yeah that's the problem with minimums uh trying to like have an online store and then you know Isabel Moran is like oh you know our minimum is ten thousand dollars you know all of that fuels waste as well when you're and 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 I get they're building a business Mm. but but it's like what happens to all those dresses if no one buys them you know, this is how this is how waste begins. Well, I, <laughs> like, I've heard of this new new concepts of uh, like slow fashion, right? Where it's it's you order the the piece and then it's produced, um, and and they send it to you, so you you get it more slowly. But then you're not like you're not sending brand new dresses to the landfill in two seasons when it's out of style, right? Yeah, Which yeah. There, there are whole companies that handle overstock now, right? Um, and then it ends up in other countries, like, uh, you know, underserved countries, but a lot of it ends up burnt and then it back to the, <laughs> the atmosphere. It's, real, it's all really, really sad. Um, but this idea of different materials like cactus and mushroom and collagen, which we are already obsessed with because of everyone, no one wants to age. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I love all that. We have to start thinking a little bit differently and um another thing too that's so interesting is culture and then like instagram like this idea of you being able to build a business online because you're just an influencer well then that also requires a lot of outfits Mm. (laughs) you know so then you can't have the same thing on because we're taking so many pictures i mean if you think about great 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 grandma they got to take family photos a few times if they were lucky we're taking selfies all day long um people being comfortable with hey i wear the same shit all the time i say that on my insta all the time it's like i wear the same shit you know they're saying that women buy 70 pieces of garments per year when it used to be more like around nine or ten i'm not i i'm not buying garments here Hell no! Like hell no! Like I don't. It's not. That's not a sustainable women. practice for our wallets or for the environment. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, our time. 
working homes and millennials, you know, aren't saving. I don't have any money for retirement. I'm not a millennial, so, you know, I, I don't know. if you, Are you a millennial, Samson? I am a millennial, yes. I am, I am 30 before years. Before I start to trash, before I start trashing millennials. I'm right before millennials, which like Gen Xers. Okay. But uh, before I trash millennials, I wanted to have respect for you, Samson. I want to, you know, I appreciate disrespect that. you. Um, because you're doing good work and you 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 care, obviously. Yeah. Um, but like this idea, the the average is like whatever jewel, whatever uh, single use, you know, weed pens, whatever, you know, like we just we just have, we can't be like whatever about it anymore, and nobody needs. We talk about need versus want. No one needs seventy new pieces of of clo- clothing per year. And and to, to to that point as well, like I don't know, I love thrifting. I have a I have a, a few friends that have thrift shops around town, and I I love just going in there and just like you know shooting, hanging out with them, and you know grabbing a few things off the wall. It's super cheap. I, I mean, I guess it's easier for me because I can. I'm basically going in there to hang out, and occasionally I find something cool to wear. But um, like, so I love thrifting because you know I, I take it, then I bring it back, and it's just it's this sort of like cycle of, of clothing so that I can use it, and other people can use it. But then also like styling is so important, right? So I feel like you can make seven items look like seventy if you just are creative with how you can style them and, and how you put them together and, and how you use accessories to accentuate them so I'm, I'm really into like good sort of almost like basic minimal looking pieces that can be styled in 10 different ways that all look different you know that's like my jam personally yeah me too like I, I wear shit you know they make jokes about me like friends colleagues you know they're like oh my god I like that belt and I'm like it's Prada from 98 and they're just like ha 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 Nicole is so funny and, and bougie with her Prada belt from 98 well yeah I didn't buy another fucking belt so, yeah. you know so like eat it <laughs> you know um, but there was a brand a couple of years ago You're, you, I don't know if I put out it maybe Tara Subkoff something like that but it was Imitation of Christ and Imitation of Christ Mm. Uh, was famous for turning used clothing into new clothing and um, she was like friends with Chloe Savini you know she was like in a cool crowd and uh, you know that that brand it was it was around for for many years here in LA and then it kind of went away but there are like collections that use you know thrift clothing like whole collections that are expensive you know there's they're, reselling this shit for a lot of money um but i found brand new clothes one time i went to a um the goodwill with a good friend of mine and i found like a gucci shirt and uh like all these brand new polo button downs probably stuff pulled for you know tv and film right um and you know i guess they only get like a short amount of time to sell everything before it moves to its doom you know in the goodwill because a lot of that stuff you know it's unwearable there's just too many donations that's yeah and like so that's sort of like one of the things that you know i want to move into having my own company one day right and it's like i'm moving into that with all of this stuff in mind i don't want to do big runs i don't want to do this huge stuff and it's and i also want to make sure that you know the people that are producing my clothes are being paired uh being paid fairly you know 
um, and being taken care of as well. And it's it's all these concerns that we have to think about. And I don't know. I'm kind of really like I think we're in an era. I think we're coming to an era where big big brands are going to become less and less um, idolized. I'm, at least I hope so. Um, I mean, I work for a big brand, so hopefully not anytime very soon, but. Um, I, I think that we need to start moving into a position where it's not about the brand name, but it's more about the construction of the garment and is it interesting? Like, what is the, the garment itself? Like, why is a bomber jacket from Armani Exchange so coveted while a bomber jacket from like a small time producer uh, who's probably making a jacket that's honestly probably much better quality and probably half the price because he doesn't have the brand name to support it? Like, why is that person not right. so coveted, right? So and I think that's, that change is going to yeah. come. I think that that's organically happening already. And uh, I mean, that's something that I'm excited for as a small producer, obviously, like that very much is in my favor. But uh, yeah, I, I think we need to move towards that as well. I, I think a lot about like Rei Kawakubo and, and how she did Kombe Garçon in, in Japan and how when she started, she instantly started helping other designers come up. Like that was the first move she made was helping other Japanese designers make names for themselves. And that sort of like Japanese designer, almost like renaissance that happened in, a, in large part was due to her influence and in what she did. And I think that's sort of the angle that I want to see the, the, the I want to see the Goliaths of the industry take those, take, make those decisions and, and take those sort of strategies, like really try to democratize fashion as much as we can. Yeah, I, I hope that that happens. Um, I mean, this whole that it happened a little bit where like a brand like Fashion Nova can blow up, but then it's still like really cheap, you know, right. and doesn't last long. So there was there's that wave of like Fashion Nova, Forever Twenty One, whatever Zara, H and M. I think that it is coming. What do you think about big companies? who are vague about being like sustainable and eco-friendly and green. And, you know, there's so issues like Nike, Adidas, you know, they're making like sneakers out of recycled plastic um, more and more. And is that something that we can trust or is that just like a distraction, a diversion from like kids in Vietnam, you know, making the shoes? Yeah, we're basically being paid nothing. Yeah, um, I I think it, that's kind of a case by case basis thing. I actually have a, like a kind of interesting personal experience with this. So the facility that I'm working at now, um, setting up production lines and, and doing stuff like that, we've made a lot of strides to be very eco friendly. And uh, there's a certain award that we got in the first round for being one of the most eco friendly facilities in fashion in America. Um, but if you look at the company that uh, owns my factory and you look at how they're rated um, and how that brand is rated overall, it has a very low rating overall. And it went to my, not my boss, but one of the other people on the boss level. And I was kind of distraught by that. I was like, why do we have, we're doing all this work to make things really eco-friendly, but we actually have a very low rating. And I know for a fact that these other companies that have higher ratings are doing less than us because, you know, they're being very transparent about what they're doing and we're not being transparent and we're doing more. Um, and the answer I got was that 
there that we wanted or that the company I work for wanted to be in control of that conversation. So they didn't want to say, hey, we're doing this when they, the company hadn't felt like they had done enough. So I think it, it's kind of a case by case basis, right? So in the case of my company, my company has a very high goal of what they want to do. And they're not going to talk about it until they hit that goal because they don't want people to go, oh, you're not doing enough or, oh, you say you're doing this, but you're still failing in these ways. So once it's, they're only going to talk about it when 100% across the board, we've hit it. Um, whereas other companies, they're talking about it a lot sooner and they may not be doing it across the board. So in the case of like Nike doing some products that are made from recycled plastics, I'm sure you can trust those products. Um, I would say if it says made in Bangladesh, maybe steer clear because I know right now, I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that right now Bangladesh is where a lot of the sort of uh, exploit, exploitative practices, labor practices have head to, they've gone to Bangladesh because there's less oversight there. But um, I know in China, I know China has been gotten, has gotten a lot better. They still have more, they still have more to do, but they've gotten a lot better since in the past 20 years. Um, but I, it is, you just kind of got to look at each product. So if that product line is, is claiming this and they back it up, then that product, but I wouldn't necessarily trust the entire company because you don't know what vendors that company is using to produce each product. Sorry for the long, but short answer. <laughs> no, that's why we're on this long chat. Um, because it is it, complicated and it's layered, you know, uh, right now with coronavirus, and now just we have a political issue there's tension with china right right there's all these international tariffs brooklinen emailed me to let me know that my favorite sheet set will be going up 10 percent in price because of sourcing and the issue with china right so you know you're gonna see a lot more of that now that our so many borders are closed so where we were getting this cheap labor from, we're not going to be getting as much product. And I don't know if that's the gift or the curse or, uh, you know, the silver lining, a blessing in disguise or, or what to have more things made in America. And I know you and I touched on, you know, American apparel, you know, yeah. but then the other side of that coin, it's like cool American apparel was being made in LA is still being made. It's still a company. It's just not a, a retail. I think it's more of a wholesale and there's factories, but then you have like their leader, Dove Charney, who's a mess, right. let's just say that. And then you have Reformation, you know, have all these CEOs stepping down because their cultures are so toxic. So you've got tiles being made in toxic ways with toxic labor practices. Reformation, for instance, you know, um, Yael Aflalo had to step down because of racism and yeah. you know uh, corporate corporate bullying and things like that. Even though Reformation is pretty committed and has made those steps to be an eco-friendly green company, so there there's like a lot of things, juggle, a lot of issues being juggled here that need to be addressed. Um, when I think you talk a, about the fashion industry. I think a part of it is also like to compete at the level. Uh, to, to be ethical in one way and compete at the level that other companies that were not being ethical were competing. I think for a time that meant sort of making certain concessions in other areas, right? Maybe not so much in American Apparel's case, 
that obviously had no impact on business. That the, the poor ethics there were that's a whole different thing. But um, when talking about toxic workplace culture, where people are are working crazy hours and and having demands, obviously when prejudices and bigotry and things like that comes into the case, that's not excusable at all. But understanding that to compete with another company and you're choosing these more ethical, more expensive options, you may need to overwork your workers to make up the difference, to be able to have a product that's priced around the same t- same amount as them. And I, do, I don't think that that is okay. I think that's actually a failing of people really understanding how to market their product at a higher price point so that they can have a good workplace culture and have good ethics across the board. Um, but uh, I mean, at the end of the day, right? Like, we have some of these products that are being sold for thousands of dollars per per item. And if if one person can sell their product at that, at that level, then more people could do that. And if more people can do that, then they can probably treat their people more ethically. And then when we get to the contemporary price point, then that's when concessions start being made. But even there, like. I think you can be very clever with how you construct and design things to reduce cost rather than, you know, just making people work till they're collapsing at work, which is I some, I, one of the places I worked, I almost collapsed at work. So I've been in that sort of workplace culture too, which is very um, uh, demanding, <laughs> to put it lightly. And there's actually, Jesus. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge snowboarder and one of the snowboard brands that I really like, I don't know much about their culture. I don't know much about what it's like to work for them. But as a technical person looking at their products and looking at their price points, it's a brand called Dekine. And Dekine makes really high quality goods that are typically at a lower price point than the rest of their market. And uh, when I look at their, when I look at their products, it's not because they're doing something on the back end, at least they, they might be doing that as well, but at least I can see that their products are designed really intelligently. It's it's a really um, like clean process to produce those items so that they, they don't have a very high production cost. And it's not because they're, you know, taking advantage of some other exploitation, right? They might be, but I don't see that. Um, I just see like, this is a clean corner that can be done in one operation instead of three. This is a clean thing here. That's one operation instead of five, you know, things like that. Um, so let me ask you this, and I have thoughts on this too. Do you think that the resale market, I forgot what they call it. It's called a certain, oh, circular economy. Mm. Um, and that means, you know, first dibs or depop or the real real or grailed uh right and i even just saw on grail that a sweater sold for eight thousand dollars this week they sent out a, a newsletter letting you know like what the most expensive thing who bought the most expensive drip this week right so this circular economy where things are being resold but they're higher end premium or luxury goods it, it is that helpful I actually think it is. I mean, I'm not much of a hype beast type of guy, so I don't really know that part of the market that well. I don't really know that part of the of the culture. I, I kind of moved out of the retail side of things um, as that yeah. was really kind of gaining prominence. Uh, but for me, like, I actually think that is a good thing because I think it's getting people more comfortable with understanding that clothing costs money and understanding that 
like these it, it, again it depends on what's being sold and at, at what price point right like I hope people understand that a, a French Terry sweatshirt probably doesn't cost that much to produce versus you know leather jacket but um, uh, I, I think it's getting people comfortable with the idea that good clothes cost money um, and I think that's a good thing overall I think we just we, we need people to understand that craftsmanship and and that kind of stuff it's, it's not cheap and this there are people who it's people's lives people spend their you know hours and hours and hours of their lives like hours and hours of each day of their lives making this stuff and and producing this stuff and working on it and it's a uh, it you know I work with the artisans every day I, I you know they're sewing they're working hard they they've got they're using their hands and it's it's I think it's something we need to respect for sure yeah, I think people don't really understand that until they get married and they get like a custom suit or a custom dress made. Um, I unfortunately worked for Monique Gruyere and it's one of the few bridal companies that um, make everything here. You know, it's an mm. American atelier. And I mean, those women are hand sewing, you know, beading and chantilly lace to the dress. It takes, that's what takes four to six months when they tell you, oh, it's too late to order your bridal gown. Well, yeah, that's how long it takes to make great things. Um, so I think that's like the first time like someone maybe average, because people will spend the money on a special occasion, you right. know, but many things take that effort to, to produce. Um, and I just want to talk about you for a little bit. You are yes. a, a high son in your work specialty. So, you know, Samson, I mean, he could tell you who he's produced for, but he would have to kill you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, like, do you mission work? Like, if someone wanted to reach out to you and say, hey, I want, like, I want to, I want to, order for my wife's birthday like a custom motorcycle jacket is that you would do I'll, i've got to be honest i'm still sitting on like two commissions that are like a year old that i'm making for some friends oh. so like i'm very slow with commissions um i'm actually kind of trying to move a little bit away from commissions i think the reason i got into this industry is so that i could be creative um and i fell into the technical okay. side because I am a bit of a science nerd, geek type guy, so I like the technical stuff. And I, I really feel like to design good clothes, you need to know how to make good clothes. I don't, I mean, obviously Karl Lagerfeld was an amazing designer and he never sewed a garment in his life, but the designers that really make, I think the designers that everyone goes, wow, they're, they're really special or amazing are the designers that could put needle to cloth and make something happen. Um, and so that's sort of like been my angle in the industry. And I, I didn't have the money to go to school when I when I started off on this path. So I kind of had to work work my way up, um, just working, right? So that's sort of what I did. And um, now I'm at the point where like I might go back to I might go to school now. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking. But what I'm really thinking about doing is, um, or I'm not thinking about. I'm, I actually I'm started it today, is uh, starting a YouTube channel where I just start making things, start sharing some of my knowledge, exploring new concepts, exploring new new things. And this can be a way for me to sort of like start being more creative. And simultaneously, like I am starting a small brand. I'm starting to produce some things or have some things produced. Um, and this will like, hopefully those things will dovetail nicely where you can see me make stuff. And then if you want to buy stuff I've made, you can go to my website. Um, and, you know, that will be how to get a piece of something that I've made. Uh, I do hope to one day create a sort of 
new way to buy commissioned like one of a kind pieces um and i actually have like a whole plan around that <laughs> but that's probably a few years out so well you know everything starts in the mind so remember that like even architects buildings everything you see started in someone's mind first as an idea um do you want do you want to be bothered with people do you want them to find you follow you like you have any interest in that you can let yeah, the no, I mean, know especially since i'm starting a youtube channel which is going to be samson's workshop and it's just going to be me, make, me making stuff not all fashion related some of it's just i want to make this right i'm a surfer and snowboarder i want to make a snowboard at some point i'm going to do that on the channel eventually so like a lot of it will be fashion related but it will also just be you know production process and development process of many different things uh my instagram is samson r hill that's s a m p s o n r h i l l um i haven't really been updating that but as i start doing more stuff i'll, I'll keep it updated it's such a dope idea to have like a workshop i think right now you know there's an obsession with the fashion design shows where they set the clock and they have to make like you know a whole collection in 2 days and it shows the stress of it and things like that what are what are your thoughts about that is that just making drama and hype out of designers so that's not how it really is like is that helping people understand i i i um production or or it's just it's just like bullshit I think the, the like for me Dior and I is one of my favorite movies. Fantastic movie, film, movie. Um it's just something that makes me cry every time I watch it. I don't know. I love seeing the chaos around trying to meet these insane deadlines. Um personally I love it. I and I know there may be something in it that's you know not very productive, but if it if it gets people if it if it sheds light on how involved you know the the process is and and how much work it is i think overall it's good um i this is for me right now with my life i can't do a fashion show right because if i have a fashion show four weeks from now it's not that i it's not that oh i would like to make four pieces you know i'd like to make 20 pieces but i don't have like i just I, i'm lazy it's like no i'm working my day job like often a few times over time a day and then going home like I can't I can't right and I think a lot of small time designers yeah you don't have the bandwidth to do it it's just it's just too much yeah so I, I think there needs to be space for both I think this ultimately there's needs to be space for both and that's where like why I'm going this direction with the YouTube show rather than just fully going all in on a brand is cuz the YouTube show can kind of be at my pace and it can sort of be like you know a bit more exploratory and a bit more fun and a bit more like kind of keeping that positive attitude and energy around it rather than being just hyper hyper demanding like oh go 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 you know which which the the runway show stuff can can be like for sure <laughs> I know I do like opportunity to just take a break from trying to make their side hustle work and they get to just focus 100% on the collection even like people on there who are parents like you, you know i i i do like that aspect of it uh project runway or next in fashion whatever the show may be so that i appreciate they're all addictive like all the hg tv shows the you know with the queer eye and yeah. the flower the big flower battle and all of those the cooking ones those are all really really cool i like them because people are actually talented or actually making things um so i think you have an interesting platform if you when you launch 
Sampson's workshop. Um, I'm definitely, definitely interested in that because you're even going to allow, you know, artisans to make furniture and things like that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, there's there's things that I want to make that are, are not fashion related at all, and, or are fashion adjacent, right? Like interior design is something that I've become more and more interested in as I learn more and more about it, and furniture design and, and things like that. I think the first thing I'm going to make is going to be very utilitarian. I'm going to make this a uh, make a, a waterproof key pouch for when I go surfing because um, I'm not satisfied with what's on the market for that so some of it will just be like hey this doesn't exist and I think it should so I'm gonna try to make it and um, I, I hope to do collaborations with other designers and, and other businesses and brands like I might, might I might want to make soap and there's some great like boutique soap brands around LA that I would love to partner with for that video um, things like that so you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of fun. It's gonna be kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not precarious, but just sort of uh, like pondering. Yeah, it's gonna be kind of like a pondering show. You know, it's just like, what do we want to make this week? What do we want to make this month? And you know, kind of have fun with it and and kind of like you know, especially when when I work in this I've been working in this industry for a little bit now, and it's like the work can can really kind of take some of the magic out of it. At the end of the day, like. I'm extremely lucky to be working in this industry, right? I'm extremely lucky to have a job where I get to go to work, play with leather, play with sewing machines, play with paint and glue and make a bag, right? Like I'm very lucky that I get to do that every single time. I I don't want to let the uh, the sort of like business of it and the, the, the corporate nature of it really kind of like take the magic out. So it kind of creates some space to have fun, you know, and just really kind of like, uh, get get a little bit of that 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 magic that magic feeling back for me at least, you know. Yeah, the 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 jobs fund the ideas and the next steps, right? While you're planning for the future, you know, it, it they act as a bridge, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I too have to, you know, in order for me to like do this podcast and be the journalist that I want to be, like you said, kind of the internet opened up the market where you know, this is my time, this is my space, I don't, I'm not on the deadline, and I don't have yeah. to serve, you know, some, some <laughs> capitalist notion of, of, you know, what a show about fashion is, because I, I didn't see any high-end magazines with female fashion editors ever, you know, mm. except for Walter Roth and Andre Leontali and Condé Nast of magazines and they've been around for over 100 years and I, I thought that was ridiculous so um, this is like my time to kind of talk my fashion shit but um, I I think that's great I'm excited for what you do next uh, I really appreciate your time and your knowledge and you're brilliant I'm so glad for the intro from our we have a mutual friend in common Julio and he's yeah. also amazing um, so I'm so glad he connected us. Thank you so much for being on You Have to Wear Something. Thank you so much for having me. And I, uh, I'm looking forward to the future. All right. Have a good good time, guys. Thanks for listening. And as I always say, peace.